Welcome everybody to the Follow Judging Music Podcast. Where we mull over musical quandaries and talk about all kinds of stuff, music, and somehow it's devolved into a lot of talks about food. But um, that's neither here nor there. I have a special guest with yeah. <laughs> it, it, I, I guess people can relate to food very well. So we all eat. So <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I wish I didn't. You know it. Save me some uh, some money and time. Yes. <clears throat> but uh, I'll have my special guest introduce himself to you guys. Uh, my name is Paul Milne. Um, I'm the creator of Ethereum. And what a cool name, first off, I'd like to say. Thank you. I got to ask you, how, how did you come up with the name? Um, <clears throat> well, I... It, guess it started with um just I, I the nature of the sound i was going for um this whole project actually it kind of started off with um me doing a lot more just orchestral stuff and electronic stuff that's kind of like how i taught myself how to record and and, uh, and produce music and i've been a guitar player for since I was like 13 years old. Um, so I've always been a metalhead, but I've always loved film scores as well. And so this project, I'm trying to kind of bridge the gap between film scoring and metal. <clears throat> so a lot of the synths and different sounds that I use are very etheric. And um, Ethereum just kind of came to me the one day and I was like, man, this is, it's cool. I, I know it's a, it's a Bitcoin name, you know, but it's also, it's the, the etheric realm is um it it's a, a place that exists um the ethers you know so <clears throat> trying to uh recreate that in a way where it, the sound the image and everything going along with it was uh was in line with um with the word it just seems to make sense so um obviously I, you know i changed it to have an a to start just to be a little bit different so it wasn't ethereum like the actual coin or whatever so that was uh that was kind of the the thought behind it and um it just when i <clears throat> when i found the font that i wanted to use for this project actually it was a buddy of mine that was he's a graphic designer and he was going through stuff and he found a bunch of fonts and i loved the one that he chose that he's like i think this was the best and i looked at it i was like yeah it this works really really well and it just worked with obviously the visuals but then the word itself so it just kind of seemed like a no-brainer and it, it to me it kind of speaks uh pretty well for what the project is about and what the sound is about i dig it man especially the uh i like the a better than a than an e I, I never really got into, uh, you know, them cryptocurrency. Well, I did spend thirty bucks on Dogecoin, but I don't <laughs> know what, what happened with that? I just put it in there and left it there and forgot yeah. the password. <laughs> I'm sure, a lot of people did. Oh yeah, I mean, it's gone absolutely nowhere, as expected. It had its boom, you know. It was, uh, <clears throat> it was one of those fad coins. And um, so it, it was one of those kind of internet sensations temporarily, and 
And uh, I, I have a friend of mine that made a boatload of money on it, but then it just, you know, it was, it was a fad. So it came and went real quick. Yeah. But, I know a lot of people. I know one particular buddy of mine ended up getting on the GameStop uh, stock trend. Oh, yeah. Made. <clears throat> He dumped like a thousand bucks into it. He's like, I wish I'd dumped more because he's like got like thirty thousand in my uh stock portfolio now. And I'm like, he could have had like hundreds of thousands. Yep. That one exploded. And for for no reason other than other than to spite another company. Yeah, I know, which is fantastic. <laughs> I love that. I dig it, man. <laughs> yeah. It said my Mac's going to die soon, but I'm going to ask a question before I fix that. <laughs> okay. So, got to ask a funny question first, because we're all about funny questions to start it off. Sure. So, where'd it go? Oh, this is not really a funny question, but I'd like to hear your answer. What music would you like to be played at your funeral? If you were like, if you were to die today, what, what would it be? Mm, that is a really good question. I mean, I, I guess it depends on um, how I died, <laughs> but um, there's um, there's an artist that uh, he came out with a album, I think in 1995, um, uh, Rob Dugan. Um, he did the uh the soundtrack for the matrix there's a, a track uh that was featured in the movie and um was on the soundtrack for that movie uh, it's called clubbed to death it's a super popular song i'm sure you've heard it if you've ever seen the matrix you've definitely heard the song it's one of my favorites uh ever and the whole album is fantastic he's a, a composer so it's all orchestral stuff. His whole album is very interesting. Uh, it's kind of a blend between, I want to say like uh, like a, a piano man meets a soundtrack. So, and again, he composed this entire album um, and yeah, as an actual orchestra play everything. But uh, that's that song in particular is just really, really good. And it seems to be pretty timeless too. Uh, again, it came out in 1995, but you can play it today, and it still sounds incredible and you know relevant and very very cool. So I would, again, like I said, it depends on how I went, but I would I'd probably choose that one. It's pretty epic. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that film is pretty epic. I mean, there's a reason. <laughs> yes. One of the what like top. 50 movies you should see before you die. Yeah, for sure. What What did you think about the most recent Matrix? Uh, I actually haven't seen it. I was told not to. <laughs> I was told not to. I, was, I said it. a lot of people saw this. It was a huge disappointment. So I haven't seen it yet. I should just to see it. Um, but it was it was told to me by a friend of mine who also told me uh not to watch was it thor god of thunder and i did anyways and i was like that was a bad movie <laughs> it was so bad it was such a disappointment yeah so i when he told me the matrix was as equally as bad i just didn't even i didn't even bother that's fair um that thor movie i 
I gotta say, it was they they got they were trying to go too much with this whole campy comedy yeah. vibe. Well, but Disney I, got their hands on it. Yeah, you know that's really and it's since Disney got their uh, foothold on Marvel, it's just all turned into stuff for kids, you know, and it just doesn't have the same. It's not Marvel anymore, you know. It's it's cheesy Marvel, which sucks because Marvel was up until Disney got their hands on it. Marvel was fucking awesome, but now not so much. Yeah, I think up until after the first Avengers movie, maybe the second Avengers movie is when they started to to waver and go more toward that family friendly vibe. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, but now it's over the top. Oh yeah, for sure. Miss Marvel, She Hulk, all that stuff. Yeah, it's I I just recently saw uh, the Marvels, and uh, it was you know it's entertaining, but I'm like, man, this just isn't just not what it used to be. It's unfortunate. Hi, buddy. You want to say something? No, you just want to purr. Okay, that's fine too. Okay, I got one more funny question for you. And then uh, we'll move on to the more serious questions. Sure. Uh, what will people be nostalgic for in 500 years? Man, um, that's hard to say because, I mean, in a generation, you can forget about the past. So I don't know in 500 years that anyone would even have an idea of, you know, what. The irony of now being in like the you know twenty twenties here of everybody missing the nineties. Um, I think there's something to be said about that, you know, the time before the internet, basically. Um, but man, five hundred years from now, if we're even still around, it's a species, you know, because that's uh, who knows. But um it's interesting because I know like culturally. At this day and age, especially with uh, all of the stuff that's on Netflix now, you know, there's so many things about like Vikings and just uh, the, the old world, you know, sw- swords and shields and magic is like, very popular right now. I mean, I know that it, I can't call it nostalgic because I never lived through that time in this life per se. Um, but I, I guess that would probably, that's like what I'm nostalgic about in this life. So, in 500 years i think it would be kind of ironic things would have to be really really bad in 500 years from now for anybody to be nostalgic about this period of time because <laughs> this is <laughs> this is kind of rough right now <clears throat> yeah, for sure you think they'll uh think about america the way they think about the roman empire <laughs> yes i do i do i mean there's a a pattern that has happened throughout the history of mankind and it just continues to repeat itself. And the, the age old thing of, Oh, we learned history so that we don't repeat it, but it seems to be that we just, we learn it and then we repeat it exactly as is in just a different timeline, like a slightly different format. It's really kind of bizarre, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then you got to think about, People try to recreate those exact type of circumstances inside of movies and TVs and shows and or books and video games. It's like they want it to happen. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do believe that uh, on some level they do. You know, I, I think that the powers of B pulling the strings, uh, they use TV and film as kind of like a projection for an agenda. It's uh, a way to um, it's a way to kind of do like a soft disclosing of what they're about to do. Um, and it's also a desensitization of things. You know, you see enough TV and film with a certain scenario. If it starts to actually happen in real life, you're already conditioned for it to some degree. I think um, where we're at right now in history, if this just started to happen without the lead up to it through TV and film and all that, I mean, look, look at the uh, the alien situation right now you know in the late 90s well the 90s in general there was such a huge boom for disclosure and all of these people ufo chasers and whatnot wanting the government to just admit that extraterrestrials are real and ufos are real and there's you know visitors from other planets coming here and all this other stuff is such a huge thing in the 90s and now, fast forward, we've had so many movies about it. We've got so many different shows about it. There's so many different things happening. Now, we've got all these things that are hitting the media. And, like, no one pets an eye. No one even cares. It's wild. I've never seen anything like it. And, like, for me, it's like I've been into this stuff for a long time. So, like, I'm seeing it happen in, in real time now. And I'm thinking, like, how is everyone just like, oh, yeah, aliens. Well, because we've all been so conditioned by TV and film to just, it's not even new anymore. If there was never a discussion about any of that stuff, and then suddenly now it came on the news that fighter jets were chasing and trying to shoot UFOs down in the sky, and you've got some government official admitting that there are these things out there. If we didn't have anything before that, it, everyone would be like, wait, what? <laughs> there's there's other creatures that exist in this universe that are here on this planet? But it, no one seems to care. No, and it's almost kind of insane that nobody cares about that kind of stuff. It's, it's pretty wild. We should care at least a little bit. Come on. I know. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the, the biggest thing about it is it would that the true admission of it would change the very fabric of society still to this day i know that roman catholicism is as far as a religion has been kind of dying slowly over time but still has a very strong foothold on a vast majority of the countries on the planet and the reality that extraterrestrials exist and have been visiting this planet for thousands of years or even currently shatters the foundation of that religious ideology completely so it's interesting to see how this is actually starting to happen now but yet no one again seems to bet an eye at it and you would think of all people especially hardcore roman catholics they would be like wait a second this is kind of destroying this entire belief system because they're the ones that said that, that that doesn't exist this is the only planet in the universe with any sort of intelligent life on it well now that's been completely debunked on so many levels yeah it's just wild man. and you gotta think back then we had the heliocentric uh we had the different types of models where yeah. the earth was <laughs> the center of the 
of not only the solar system but like the entire universe and right we we ended up proving that wrong too so sure but it's all about perspective though too so like that system the helio system is an interesting one because it is quite literally about the the individualized perspective of being on this planet you know which there's a lot of things that coincide with that just the, the simple fact that gravity and time is specific to the celestial body you're on and gravity and time are the biggest dictations of our physical reality and how we experience it so this is the only place that we can experience things this way you go to another planet different gravity different perception of time everything so the the helio system albeit it as far as a uh whole galactic kind of um counterpoint it just doesn't it doesn't make sense in the grand scheme of things because it, it we are not the only ones we are not the only planet we are moving around the sun it, it's changes but as far as the perspective goes it, the helio system has some um guidance to it because yeah it's it's limited but it is we as humans on earth are ultimately the center of our own version of reality um so there's there's a albeit it is like again not on a grand scheme it is not correct but on a smaller spectrum for people on this planet it, it makes a lot of sense you know because it is our perception of reality coming from this perspective and then, and then you got the uh the the me uh centric model where it's everything revolves around me <laughs> oh yeah yeah well that's uh egoic stance and there's plenty of people that, that take that perspective as well i don't think uh I, I think it's one of those things where people just don't really see the big picture of things like with with the alien information coming out and you know all all of the brand new information that we're receiving every day I feel like people don't look at the big picture and the big scheme of it all. They just go, oh, yeah, it's, it's some small piece of information, whatever. But looking at the grand scheme of things, you're like, whoa, what what is all this? You know, you should be more. Uh, What's the word? Damn it. I, I had it, but it's gone <laughs> in and out like a train. Yeah, it happens cognizant of uh yeah going yeah. on there you go well i mean it, it makes sense though because i mean we are constantly inundated with so much information you know you, you go on your phone you've got there's 10 different kinds of social media there's so many different there's you know you've got google you've got yahoo you got all, all of them are um putting out different news different perspectives of news they proved you know back in like the 2020 elections after the fact that certain social media platforms and then certain search engines were actually tailoring news uh to only be seen by a certain demographic of people so it's it is difficult at this point to care about the bigger picture when you're getting constantly inundated with headlines and news feeds and different information and it's just so convoluted at this point it's not like you pick up the paper and you read it once and there's a bunch of articles in there about what's going on all day every day there's something happening there's something else going on there's something else to read you know and then on top of it i mean we're statistically we are worse off now financially speaking 
than we were during the Great Depression. As far as an economic stance goes, it seemed more drastic then because they didn't have the infrastructure to continue to at least deliver food and goods and all that stuff. So it it felt harder, but fiscally, we're worse off now. And the vast majority of people, you know, again, like I, everybody's working more than they should just to be able to make ends meet. It's hard to pay attention and it's hard to even worry about the bigger picture. It's like, what do you do? You know, you got to get mouths to feed. You've got bills to pay. You've got your own life to live. And um, the world got a lot smaller with the internet. Obviously, I mean, we're having this conversation all because uh, Instagram led us here, you know. So there's just so many things now. There's just so much stuff. And it just is slamming our brains that have the capacity to only deal with so much information. You know, and realistically, like our brains at this point have not adapted to be able to decipher, read through, and discern the saturation of information being thrown at us right now it's it's fucking crazy it is man and i mean you're right uh i mean the whole being worse off than we were in the great depression i mean you can literally look up the u.s debt clock dot org and go and see how fast it's just rising every single second of the day yep hundreds of dollars per second thousands of dollars per second and you know you just can't you watch it and you go what is going on you know how could we we, it's a debt-based economy you know like that's your debt is worth more than your money because your debt can be bought and sold multiple times accruing interest so yeah it is i mean it's been a debt-based economy ever since the federal reserve got their uh their hands on printing money for the government um you know before that we actually had gold standard and there was a a a finite amount of denominations because it was backed by a finite mineral so now if you could print money into thin air or out of thin air and the way the banks work is you know for every hundred dollars in they can loan out 99 dollars of it which means now okay i gave my, the bank a hundred bucks to hold on to they're going to loan that out that 99 dollars out that then can be loaned out and loaned out and loaned out and loaned out i mean it's just compounding debt that they don't actually have they're just these fictitious numbers and you know if shit were to ever hit the fan for these big companies these big banks oh well the federal reserve just prints more money which just increases the uh the well the interest rates will go up and then the inflation you know the value of the dollar continues to drop but it's fine because they just print more of it but you know no we'll, we'll just raise minimum wage and it's just this vicious cycle of degradation and devaluing of uh, our currency and the things that we need to survive it's kind of fucked no it's not kind of fucked it's very fucked <laughs> very very it's very fucked. very fucked yeah for sure now i've got uh quite a bit of music questions for you we'll we'll sure. stray away from from the serious topics of conversation. <laughs> yeah fair Although, enough Although it was a lot of fun to talk about. Sure. 
Um, first question is, and this is always a fun one. Take me back to a very young Paul and tell me about how you got into music. I, I'm sure. I mean, I definitely want to know, and my viewers are, of course, going to want to know. Sure. Um, let's see. I mean, I, I think. As far as the intrigue in certain genres, it probably started right around 12 or 13. Um, I think everybody kind of finds their own identity in music around that age. They, or at least they start to, you know, once hormones start kicking in and the sense of self starts to formulate, you start to find your own, uh, your own genre of things that you like to listen to. So, um, I, my, I don't know. I have an older brother. He's uh, three years and nine months, which is basically four years. So he was a little bit further along, and um, he was a he is a phenomenal piano player, and so he had always gotten into classical music because he was a piano player, and well, still is. Um, and he used to play some really wild stuff that wasn't always necessarily my favorite thing, but I I did appreciate the. Um, orchestra and orchestra stuff he also played viola so when i was you know when he was in school and i was young and we'd go to the, his school concerts and was watching a full orchestra play and i always really really enjoyed that um but then as far as like bands and whatnot um he was pretty big into tom patty and the heartbreakers which is kind of hysterical um but they're phenomenal musicians i mean tom patty's uh, one of the greatest out there and i grew up listening to tom petty and um i don't want to say necessarily that it was influential but what i did find at that time when i was like 12 or 13 years old and my brother was listening to tom petty and i was listening to it as well just by default um i started getting you know he was rip a copy down back when we had cds he would make a copy of the cd and i'd be listening to it or whatever and i found myself being drawn towards some of the more rock and roll a little faster pace something a little bit heavier for lack of a better term um and and that was probably around like 12 and, and <clears throat> i think once i got to middle school uh oasis was a pretty popular band at the time and um man their first album i fucking loved that album i really 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 enjoyed that like pretty much everything that they had done at that point and then the album afterwards and so that was pretty influential um and then bush uh 16 stone it was right when i started playing guitar at 13 years old um i had got my hands on that album and i fucking loved it and that was really a paradigm shift for me as far as what music could sound like and just the energy behind it and whatnot um the irony now is looking back at it it's like the the lyrical content that gavin rousdale came up with at the time i still have no fucking clue what the hell he was talking about but it was cool you know the guitar riffs were cool sound was cool the image was awesome i wanted to be him um so bush i say they, they kind of carried me through for a while um until there was one very specific time when um actually it was probably around the same time that the matrix came out um but i remember specifically there was a, a radio station that we had up here 
way back when it was a local station it was uh 90.5 and it was like the alternative i don't even want to say rock or hard rock or anything it was just an alternative station they played everything underground and um i remember getting up for school the one day and i'm, I'm making my bed getting ready to go and uh i think it was uh around the foot by deftones came on the radio and i was like what the fuck dude i like stopped doing what i was doing i'm like, making my i stopped i was like yo this is second to fucking last part of that song where he's just screaming his balls off it's like this is unbelievable and then shortly thereafter uh i i've got watching the matrix on vhs and they had after the movie ended they did like their little uh ad for the soundtrack and deftones run soundtrack and it was um uh, shove it because that that was the kind of feature and they showed like a little clip of their music video and, I, and now suddenly i'm this huge deftones fan so deftones were and still i you know people ask me what my favorite band is and i gotta say the deftones because of how influential they were for me at such a pivotal point in my life um i don't love everything they do i love them as a band i think everything that they stand for is just as far as like an organic raw sound i've seen them live a bunch of times they clearly don't play to a click track at all they just get out there and throw the fuck down you can hear when they're out of time you can hear when they're out of key and they don't give a shit. and there's just this rawness to the deftones that i absolutely love but that ended up snowballing into then hearing corn and then biscuit and slipknot and like all those bands of the late 90s um i was never a huge slipknot fan but corn for sure deftones obviously limp biscuit i was in love with for the longest time um and those those carried me through for pretty much my high school career and then it just it turns into everything else you know as the the genres started to to come and go you know then you get metalcore and shortly thereafter it was gents and all so on and so forth so i would say yeah like young paul like the real the meat and potatoes of what made me fall in love with music was the heavier stuff the harder music but it was you know deftones for sure bush oasis um and then Biscuit, corn just kind of can't oh seven dust gotta throw them in there i love seven dust is still like seven dust so yeah fantastic band too on top of that which one all of them first of all, yeah the seven dust for sure oh dude they're so fucking good they're so fucking good they're still good they still kick ass every album they put out they still got like, serious bangers on it every time it's awesome it's almost a shame that you don't get to like i've always thought they were bigger than they actually were no. turns out. yep i don't know yep they're kind of an underground band just yeah, to a degree like, uh they should be playing you know the the thousand cap rooms but now they're just playing 200 cap 300 <laughs> and i'm like something's not right here <laughs> well to my the last band I was in, um, the last tour I did with them, we went out with Gemini Syndrome, 
Ooh. And uh, yeah, Gemini Syndrome is a great band, man. I've been a fan of those guys for a long time. And granted, this was like right after COVID and things were opening back up again. But I couldn't believe it, man. We were playing fucking like nobody, 100, 200 people. We're playing rooms that are capping out at 15 or 2,000 people. And there's like 250 people there. I just, I don't know what's happening to live music, but I know that things have definitely changed as far as obviously popularity of certain types of music. But right now, it seems like country music and hip hop are getting the the big push from, you know, marketing and uh, and just the, the record labels themselves. And there's just not as much of a, of a marketing push towards hard rock and metal and anything else like that. And I know that it's kind of been an underground thing to a degree, but you rewind back to the 80s, and granted it was hair metal and pop metal, but it was still fucking metal, and it was huge. It was everything. It was everything. But I I don't know. I, I've never really gotten into hip-hop i do not like country music at all <laughs> and this shit bothers me but um you know it, that's the new country i i'd say the the older stuff when you get into like willie nelson and johnny cash i'm all in and i can even go as far as saying that like bluegrass music now is actual country music and i like bluegrass it's a folk style uh, of music and it, it's got a message behind it it's well wrote it's very well performed most of the time i uh, used to bartend at a live music venue here in town and we had got a lot of bluegrass acts and man they fucking were great they were great so but i think it's just i think the record labels and the music industry has destroyed music itself to a degree and that's why you've got bands that are phenomenal like seven dust which is right incredible songs play perfect live but they just don't have the pull because they're not getting the push on a marketing level that uh that they should and it's just i mean people obviously are sheep so whatever you put in front of them and make it look pretty they're gonna be like oh i like this and people like to be told what they like so if they're being told they like country, if they're being told they like hip hop, or they're being told that these are trending and popular, then people just fall in line with it. So I, I think that's the reason why these really talented bands are just not really doing what they should be doing at this day and age. It's unfortunate. It really is. I mean, it's like uh, people choose the path of least resistance, whatever is easy for them, and... Uh pop uh hip-hop and modern country is just easy listening you don't have to think about it at all you just right let it roll through and don't get me wrong i like some modern pop music like uh but that's the really intricate pop music that maybe isn't as popular as your taylor swift and your uh cardi b and stuff like that speaking of taylor swift did you hear that isolated vocal thing floating around from one of the live performances she did recently wow. tell me about it wow my buddy sent it to me i'll i'll actually i'll send that over to you on instagram um it was it, i think it was floating around on twitter uh but basically somebody 
isolated her microphone from a live performance and oh, oh, oh wow dude it was atrocious and you can tell that she's not she's just lip sync you know yeah. which is at this at this point most people are doing in pretty much almost every genre um they're not actually performing live especially with technology this day and age you don't even need to which is sad um, yeah. but that is that's reality of it um and so she was definitely doing it but she was still had a live mic because they got to do something so in between songs when she talks to the audience there's still a live mic there and uh and so she was singing along for some parts and you're like oh my god this is fucking awful painfully awful so yeah like i said i'll send it to you it, it was i was like damn dude this is where we're at right now <laughs> uh, you remember that uh big controversy a while back with uh who was it was it beyonce or something like that turns out she was it was either beyonce or mariah carey and they lip synced so it was mariah carey i remember now oh yeah 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 yes yeah. yes i do remember that yes yeah lip sync so bad yeah i i mean come on if you're singing in the shower a person singing in the shower could lip sync better to your music yeah i know it's uh well you know it's there's also i, I there's has got to be a sense of arrogance when you get to that level where just you walking out on stage people are going to go fucking crazy right so you can get up there and be three sheets to the wind or just be having a rough day and it doesn't even fucking matter but once in a blue moon somebody's going to be like wait a second and then you know you get called out on it but at the same time everybody's memory is that of a titsy fly so you know we're talking about it now but everyone's long forgotten because we just went through christmas and everybody heard mariah carey's fucking christmas song every single day for the last 30 days so everyone forgot about that all over again you know it's just like the nature of it like people's memories are so short you can get away with murder these days literally so fucked up I remember hearing this thing about uh youtubers how youtubers can get canceled they'll post an apology video and literally like a couple months later they'll be it'll be all forgiven or completely forgotten about and yep. they'll have their viewership still they may have lost a couple hundred but in the grand scheme of things they probably earned like three times as many back already from their other videos and sure like nothing ever happens and consequences well, bad, are bad, bad press is good press yep yep you know actually for like uh rock star games and their gta <laughs> yeah no shit <laughs> if only they, uh, would stop putting out gta 5 for the 25 <laughs> right yeah no they're running out of ideas I hope that doesn't mean that they've run out of ideas for the GTA six. That'll be 250 some odd dollars. I'm sure when we get around to it. Ouch. <laughs> it's too much. Prices for video games have gone up so much. I mean, you, you remember it used to be 30 bucks for a game, 40 bucks. Yeah. Maybe if it was a premium title that sure. everyone was looking forward to. Then they hopped it up to that $60 standard where it stayed for a while, and now it's going 
$60 for a non-AAA game, $70 for a AAA game, $80 hitting it on some markets. Yeah. Game companies are trying to hit, I think it was EA, who we all know about them and their FIFA games and their Madden games that they release the same crap of every year. They're right. wanting to make them $100 or more. Jesus. Like I, I can't I can't afford a hundred dollars for a the same video game you posted for the past ten years. Right. Yeah, that's too much. It's way too much. But I mean they've also they have a built in audience for that. So it's like there's still the people that they're gonna pay for it. They're gonna do it. They're gamers. It's their life. And now that gaming has become its own industry where people are making money off of that playing games like playing things on Twitch. They're gonna make it. They're gonna they're gonna get their money. If only I could uh, sit around in my underwear and play video games for a living. <laughs> Fucking A, right? Jesus. And the thing is, you've got some really creative people and interesting people on Twitch, but they're usually the ones that are reserved to like the, you know, maybe got 100 views maximum at any given time. And <clears throat> right. got these people who are do the literally the same thing as every other person on the platform that's got 5,000, 10,000 viewers every day, got people yeah. spending buku amounts of money on them. But uh, I, I can't just stoop that low to do something like that. I like to be at least generally entertaining to a slightly higher caliber of people. <laughs> right, yeah, same same i've got a degree of integrity that prevents me from doing shit like everybody else is already doing so yeah yeah so I, i'm a guy and i don't have any of the oh yeah the fun bags yeah you don't yeah. have those yeah that's kind of a, a big thing too <laughs> uh, i don't plan on getting any surgery anytime soon either to try to capitalize on that so yeah no i'm all set on that one as well so Let's let's move on from that and uh, go into a different question. Sure. So I'd like to talk about your writing process, about how how you go about writing an Ethereum song, because I I love oh. hearing about how people go about writing their songs. It's just first off, it's helpful for me because I like trying new different ways to write music. But uh, you know, it's just good to get into the minds of another uh writer um well for me it's it depends sometimes it starts with a guitar riff sometimes it starts with a piano melody sometimes it starts with a, a orchestra arrangement um it kind of just depends on what i'm feeling at the time um but uh it's it, sometimes i'll just I'll, I'll hear a riff in my head um, or i'll hear a melody and it's just i, I gotta get it out so i'll I my setup is ready to go 24 7. so when i'm feeling inspired i'll just sit down and start with whatever basic thing i have so if it's a guitar riff i'll just throw a click track up and i'll try to record that guitar riff and play it till i get it right to where i want it because i'm also learning it in the real time as i'm trying to record it um, and then I just start to build on top of that. Um, you know, if it's a piano melody or, or orchestral arrangement, same kind of idea. I'll just start with laying out the basic foundation of something. And then once there's some formula 
uh, going where it's like, okay, I've got, this sounds like a verse, this sounds like a bridge, this sounds like a chorus, whatever. I'll get those pieces up just randomly. I, I'm not going to try to arrange anything in the moment, but I just try to get the idea out. Um, you know, so get something, some melody out, get a drum line that's just basic for the time being recorded. And then I will start to arrange it. Okay, what else does this song need? I've got myself a handful of different parts here, but it's lacking here or it needs a little bit of variation. And then I'll go back and I'll record some stuff. I'll come up with different ideas, some different riffs. And once the basic foundation has been laid, then I start to add like the color to it, and the other variation, the, the various instruments and synths and whatever else. And again, I, I like to create a very big atmospheric sound. So every song that I've got has multiple parts. Um, and with the equipment that I'm using, um, I'm using a shitload of plugins because I just have a, a keyboard that I do all of the orchestral arrangements on it. But I love strings, so I always put as much orchestra into every song as I possibly can. And I'll try to balance out the orchestra with a synth. Um, just to give it a little bit more color and character. And when I'm mixing things, I try to pan the uh, the orchestral arrangements in the order in which they would be sitting on an actual stage. Um, and then that generally, because like most of the strings are typically going to be on like the right side of the stage. And so there's some songs that have got some brass and um, one that I've been working on uh, that started last weekend and then I was working on it all day today. There's a lot more horns in it. So they sit on the left side of the stage. So I pan everything accordingly. Um, but sometimes just in the mix itself, there will be certain articulations that just need a little bit more emphasis. So I'll find some synths that I can bring in there to kind of balance that out and I'll pan it equally. So if it's a staccato string on the right side of the of of your your ear, then I'll bring a synth that has a similar tonality that just can kind of emphasize a staccato and I'll bring on the left so that it adds a little bit more to it and it just builds I generally like my process once I've got the foundation going you know for <clears throat> days after I've got just the basic idea of it I will uh, listen to it endlessly I'll be at the gym and I'll be playing it and I'll be in my vehicle and I'll be playing it. And as I'm listening to it on repeat, I hear other things, other notes, other melodies that are not in there, but I can hear that they're supposed to be there. So I will come home and I'll add them in just these little different textures, subtle changes to something to just kind of give it a little bit more life. So generally that's my process. Um, I also, a lot of the songs, full disclosure, I wrote um, while I was on either Mushrooms or most recently Acid. <laughs> so the song that I, I started writing uh, last Saturday, uh, I uh, Kristen was wanting to to do some, some Acid, and I, I've only done it a handful of times, and uh, Typically, it, it makes me very physically uncomfortable. I get like a tension headache. My neck is really tight. Yeah. And, uh, but I didn't, you know, I, I didn't want to be 
I didn't want to leave her alone for the journey. So I was like, I'm reading forums, you know, like, what, what can I do to make it so that this isn't so physically uncomfortable for me? And I found this one forum where somebody was saying, if you take uh, red kratom uh, before, it relaxes your body enough to actually have a nice experience. If, if you're prone, some people are just prone to having very physically hard experience on acid. And so I was like, fuck, I'll try it. So I did, and um, I had I just took one hit, and I had a absolutely wonderful experience with it. It was very light. It was very fun and relaxing, and um, introspective, and just really, really quite wonderful. And after several hours of uh, of it, I was and my brain was just like music, 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 music. I just I'm hearing all these fucking melodies, and I said something to her, and she's like, "Do you think you could right now?" I'm like. I'll try. So we came to this, my studio because it's it, the room I'm sitting in right now is the studio. I, I built this. It's in the garage. And I just I finished the garage out and I, I have all of my gear in here. So things were like kind of set up and um, I just started going. I started with the strings. I started with actually a double bass um, and I was playing just a real basic kind of low droning you know, double bass kind of string arrangement. And then I moved to cellos and then I moved to violas and violins. And and it started to just build and build and build to the point where I was like, okay, I'm ready to start tracking some guitars on this thing. And uh, granted, this was a struggle. <laughs> it was not the easiest thing I've ever done. Um, but I got this really fucking cool idea out there. Um, and so that the song uh, that I, I, pretty much just finished right before uh, we jumped on here. I, I just finished writing all the lyrics for it. So the song is called Queen of the Fae. Um, I wrote a song maybe a month ago called King of the Fae. And I just got this guitar from this uh, super talented carpenter out of uh, Czech Republic. It's uh, Flame Instruments. Fucking super cool shit this guy's making um he's got these wild designs and i had been looking for an eight string guitar for a very long time i used to have one um it got lost in the shuffle between moving around and all this stuff i long story short i, I it got left i've lived in california got left behind and i had bought a new one since and i knew the one that i had bought was it was an ibanez eight string and it was cool but it, it just it wasn't a high quality instrument so it was lacking some things and so i was again i was shopping for something so i found this guy and i ended up messaging him directly on instagram i was like dude this this work i'm, I'm a carpenter so i was like this work is fucking incredible dude i was like i i have to have it and he's like all i've got left is the eight string i was like well that's the one i want so i bought it he sent it out to me super cool super easy to deal with really really nice guy we talked a, a lot that week well uh you know we went, went through the exchange or whatever when i got the instrument um it immediately was just like the most inspirational thing because it's like a new toy and so i wrote the song called king of the fae and uh so then fast forward to last week i was uh you know tripping and uh and I'm writing the song and it was just like, man, this thing just fucking calls for this eight string. So I start writing it. And then the next thing I know, I'm like, this is starting to sound in a similar vein as King of the Fae. I'm like, you know what? Let me, but it's more feminine. Like, Let me make this one Queen of the Fae. 
And so the whole lyrical content is kind of about the perspective of uh, the Fae and them being in a, another dimension yet sharing this planet with humanity and kind of being like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> like that's kind of the, the lyrical content is just like, they're the protector of humanity and they're wondering when we're going to stop being the way that we are. So I don't, I, I hope that it's kind of a long-winded explanation of my, my writing process, but I, uh, yeah, I, I, I like to experiment. And so I've found that certain substances on a low dose happen to be a catalyst for basically getting my egoic mind out of the way and just writing from a place of just pure creativity, not overthinking things, just playing whatever comes to mind, whatever feels like it's supposed to be there, instead of writing formulaically and trying to write something that is like, oh, well, this is this is how a song is supposed to be written. This is song structure. And these are, you know, music that I don't care about any of that shit. I don't give a fuck. It's like, does it feel good? Does it feel like it's right? Does it, is it supposed to go this way? That's what I care about. So that's my process. I love it, man. And it wasn't long-winded at all. That's exactly the kind of answer I wanted. So thank cool. you for that. And uh, I looked up Flame Instruments. This stuff is insane. 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 He's so talented, this guy. So fucking talented. Like, yeah, yeah. Holy cow. I mean, this is that's the one I was looking at. Yeah, that's it right there. That's beautiful. So okay, so the the other the backstory behind this this guitarist he called it Oberon. Oberon is king of the Fae. So that's ultimately what kind of inspired me to write that song, call it King of the Fae. Um, and there's another backstory with that. Um, I years ago, I was in Peru, and um, I went. Uh, I went to Peru twice for uh, ayahuasca ceremonies. And the second time I was in Peru for an ayahuasca retreat, uh, I went to this one shaman. Um, he was the he was the shaman at the other retreat center. So like the, the first time I went down there, um, I went to this one place and he first just ceremony, he would show up with his assistant, he would run the ceremony and then he would leave afterwards. He had his own retreat center. So like when uh, the last ceremony when I was at that particular retreat, uh, before we started, you know, he thanked everybody and he had he said he's like, just so everybody is aware this was going to be my last ceremony ceremony at uh, El Camino Sagrado. That was the, the place I was at. And he explained that he was starting his own retreat center and he was going to be focusing on different things, um, more metaphysics and Qigong and um, did just a bunch of different stuff. And so the following year, I wanted to go back. So I went directly to his retreat center and um, it was a fucking wild experience. And uh, I can't remember which night of ceremony, but it was it was after the one ceremony that we had that uh, uh, his name is Paul Diamond, the shaman. His girlfriend at the time, this woman, Jen, um, she was his assistant or one of the assistants for ceremony. And so when you're in ceremony, 
with your shamans like everybody in the room drinks ayahuasca including the shaman and the assistants they don't drink as much but they drink enough to put them in, in state and um so she was responsible for just kind of like going around the room and making sure everybody was okay and uh and so she told me this after the fact that she was kind of going around and was like, okay it just seems occasional she said she got to me and she's like oh that's the fairy king he's fine and then kept moving and, and then afterwards she's like wait what the fuck why did i even say that so she told me that she's like i don't know what what came to my mind to say that and i was like I, that's it's interesting because i i love that folklore you know i always have loved that folklore and that kind of image and that world or whatever so it was like it's kind of funny and um so fast forward i i find this fucking guitar and uh, i found it Kristen was sitting right here with me and she's like that sick you have to buy that I'm like I'm going to fucking buy that I was like what is this thing it's like oh it's it's called Oberon so she goes and she looks up Oberon she knows the story so she's like uh are you ready for this I was like what she's like do you know what Oberon is Oberon is the king of the fae I was like what the fuck dude I have to have this thing so so I ordered it immediately so yeah funny little backstory but it's a fucking phenomenal instrument I love it sounds great plays awesome and it's all handmade you know I, I watched a video of, of him making these things I'm like dude this kid you know most guitars these days are just made on like a cnc machine they're just cut out with like a laser cut which is cool because you could do some really wild shit with it but i mean this thing's again handmade and being a, a, a woodworker myself watching him do this i was like this is so beyond <laughs> anything i'm capable of doing at this point i was like holy fuck. so I've always wanted to pardon me. Uh I always wanted to build a guitar, but I never really after after looking at that, it it's definitely invigorated me and I'm gonna have to try my hand at making something just as cool as that because that's fucking wild, dude. Made. I'm <laughs> yeah. looking at all of it and I'm like, he's got light up uh oh yeah spaces on the on the one base he's you got oberon right there that's yeah absolutely killer and yeah i'm i'm definitely doing that now <laughs> so cool the tone is wild on it too i mean the thing really sounds fucking great he did a really really nice job on it so uh king of the fey and uh queen of the fey those are the two main songs that have eight string on it right yes Ooh, okay. balloons <laughs> and that uh made balloons that yeah people who are just listening to the audio version go <laughs> yeah, look up balloons on dot, screen. yeah balloons on screen and then go look up flame dot instruments and take a look at that stuff because the eight string it's like the fourth one or fifth post yeah. as january maybe more after the fact it's absolutely killer so it Sorry sure if you didn't uh, watch the video podcast. Maybe you should have. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but, uh, those are right now. Those are the two songs because like I just didn't have an eight before, and I, I had been wanting to go the, that direction. So yeah, those are the the two, and they they won't be out for a, a bit yet. I'm still got a lot of work to do on King of the Fay and stuff to actually like, track all the vocals and everything else like that so it's going to be a little bit but it, it will be out before the end of the year for sure okay good uh, 
see exclusive here you got to hear it first it'll be out before the end of the year yeah so um what were you using beforehand were you using a seven string or a six uh six string seven yeah i've got uh i got two seven strings i have got a uh uh my main one that i record with is uh it's an esp um it's an h uh 1000 it's a koa wood guitar and i lived in hawaii for a year and um i think it was when i moved back here i want to say like maybe 2015 or 2016 maybe um esp did this very limited run of a, a hawaiian cold wood seven string and i saw it i was like i fucking have to have this uh, it sounds phenomenal it plays great uh so that's my go-to i do all my recording with it um in the music video for karma bound i've got my uh i've been as seven string that it's a uh i've been as s series it's a nice guitar it just it it's good for a show it's thin it's light um so you can rock out with it the other one is heavy as shit, so it's a little bit different when you're trying to actually just do a performance so the the other seven string tends to be more of like my live instrument um but yeah i don't I, the only six string i have in my possession currently is a 1973 ovation acoustic so i've ever since i found seven strings it's kind of been I mean, last time i even played a six string guitar and wrote anything on it was fuck over 10 years ago at this point i just like lower tones yeah. so i've got every i mean my bass guitars are all they're you know five or six string and they're all detuned super low all of that shit. gotcha so uh what tuning are you using are you using the uh the standard or uh drop tuning or what are you yeah using? so for seven string and drop a Okay. Um, for the eight stream and drop E. Man, so you you are doing the same exact thing. I mean, I've got two Schecters. I got a Schecter seven and a Schecter eight. Uh, Schecter seven's tuned to A, and the Schecter eight is tuned to E. So that's I just up. they just sit that that uh, sits right. When my old band, I was uh, we played in um, G sharp which is cool. Um, but I just, I f particularly like, I, I find that drop a just, it's a little tighter. Uh, it's got a, a little bit better resonance. Um, the chord progressions seem to be just easier to work with for me. Um, something I, I it's not standard tuning, but it's a little closer to standard. Um, so i mean there was other reasons why we did the a sharp you know half step down and it was mostly to compensate for the vocalist um but yeah so i just i prefer to play in, in a and then drop e i don't want to deviate too much um especially with the arrangements that i'm doing as far as like orchestra goes it's just a little bit less challenging to write when it's a, a little bit more of a straightforward tuning and just you know with everything else you know it keeps everything on a, on a whole note instead of having to do half steps and shit like that so okay that that makes a lot of sense and then as far as the rest of your live rig go what do, what do you have going on there um <clears throat> well the last time i played live i was on bass and so i had uh dark glass Ooh. um 
and which was super cool. Now I got the big boy. This is actually hysterical. I got this really nice dark glass amplifier, and that's what I was using to practice live and or uh, you know in in, in our, our practice space and everything. We go on tour, you know, I bring this thing out, and it's dude, it had so much fucking buzz. We're playing in these venues where there's just a lot of feedback. There's a lot of electronics. There's a lot of shit going on. And it was picking up all kinds of stuff. And it was just so noisy. And after maybe a week of, of touring, I was like, fuck this. And I had a just with the dark glass pedal. And I just ended up going, putting a, a DI box on a dark glass pedal and going directly into the fucking house. And after every show, everyone's coming to like, your bass sounds fucking amazing. How are you getting that tone? I'm like, dude, it's a fucking dark glass stomp box pedal going directly in, you know, nothing else on it. So that was the, kind of a, a wake up call. <laughs> I was just like, dude, I just spent stupid money on this dark glass amplifier and uh, in a live setting in these venues I'm playing, the stomp box sounded better. Um, before that, I had a, a, a 5150 that I was using for guitar, which is still pretty cool. Um, I, it was tough. I could never quite seem to dial in a tone that I really liked. Um, and even, you know, recording now, the tones that I use, I stack two different kinds of uh, amplifiers, you know, digital amplifiers. I stacked two different ones to get the tone that I'm trying to get because like one's got a lot of bite and clarity, but not a lot of body. And the other one's got a shitload of body, but not a lot of clarity. So I just kind of layer the two together. And I do that with pretty much most of my mixes. Um, even the drums, I have two different kinds of drums that I'm running just to get a bigger sound out of it, more clarity, more body, all that layers on top of layers of things to, to bring out the sound. It gets tough when you're starting to record with so much um, orchestral composition because it eats up so much of a frequency band that you've got to do other things to make sure that the instruments sit where you want them to sit layers is kind of the key for it so if uh, going forward with this project doing a, a live setting uh realistically i think at this point i would just go to like an xfx where you know try to keep things simple um the le less is more at this stage of the game you know trying to cart up a shitload of amplifiers and have a microphone put in front of them you know it's it's everything has to happen so quickly if you can eliminate a lot of the work from the the sound engineers and the techs that are at that venue it's just a lot easier to hand somebody a cable that they can plug into and you know your sound is going to be what it's supposed to be because you got it situated before you even showed up and it just eliminates a lot of the nonsense and i mean i you know the purists will say that that's cheating but at this point I don't give a fuck. It's about the the show. It's about the performance, and it's about the communication of the sound I'm trying to recreate for the listener. So, like, I don't, I don't give a fuck. It's, oh, you don't start a real app. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Did you like it? Was it a good set? You know, do you like the music? Because that's all I care fuck about, really. Yeah, of course. I mean, and at this point, amp sims and amp modelers at this point have gotten so good that it's almost completely indistinguishable from a real amp anyways. 
Yeah, it really is. So at that point, I mean, you're you're just splitting hairs for the sake of being a purist, you know. Which it's something for some people that's their game, and that's fine. I just I don't care about that. Again, it's I'm I'm trying to bring something else, and uh, and I want it to be simple. Plus the oh my god, the anxiety as uh, as an like a, a guitar player or a bass player about showing up with gear and praying to god that the mic is in the right spot or the guy at the the the, in the booth has got it mixed correctly and all that other shit. if you can eliminate that it just adds for a lot more enjoyable of a performance without having to worry about whether or not it's translating appropriately you know yeah of course man i mean you hit the nail on the head i mean let let at this point less is more and yeah. in, in a good way i right. mean all these big bands you got trivium used it for a little bit they ended up swapping back to regular amps for the hell of it because i guess you, when you got enough money like that you can do whatever you want well yeah when you've got a road crew that's just going to load all that stuff up and sound engineers you know they know exactly what it's supposed to sound like they're going to mix it all to the way that it's supposed to be that's that's different you know yeah. But you know, you got Spirit Box. Mike Stringer uses a uh, quad cortex. You got um, right uh, several bands that have been on my podcast of various degrees used Kempers, used quad mm -hmm. cortexes, used the Helix, the what's that one? Head Rush, whatever it mm -hmm. is. They're all using forms of amp modelers now because it's sure. it's just the way to go. And honestly. Why would you lug around a giant amp when you can just plop down, call it a day? Right. Plus, too, with uh, you know the MIDI control that everything has, you've got if you're sw if your instrument's switching effects, you know, good reverb, delays, and whatever else throughout a song, and now you can just have that all calibrated so it switches it for you in the MIDI control. And you don't have to worry about a fucking stop box anymore. You can just again another thing. You just get up there, just play your instrument. It's all going to sound the way that it's supposed to sound on time. You don't have to worry about that additional thing. You get to focus on your performance. You get to focus in on the audience. Not worry about whether or not your stop box has got a, a fresh battery in it, or if it's hooked up appropriately, or if it's yeah, it's just a lot of shit that you could just eliminate. So, I. I prefer to go if it's the easy route i'm in because i just want to get up there and, and know that it's going to sound right not have to sweat it and at the end of the day it's about the music not the you know I, not right. oh the amp versus the i can hear the slight 12 decibel hum that uh the right. brings to it right exactly you know the people twirling their their mustaches going right. Yeah. So as you can see, uh, this amp right here has the slight tonal shift through the airwaves that it pushes through, and if you mic it just five centimeters to the left, and right, yeah, that's like such a small percentage of the crowd. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, you hit my recording question. And you hit, you hit a lot of my question. <laughs> no, sweet. <laughs> I appreciate it. I always love when that happens because then I don't 
have to ask the question. I'm just like, sure. no, it's all there for you to enjoy. Yeah. Um, I do have a couple more questions for you for uh, this episode here. First off, I got to ask. You, I know you're writing new music, but is there any other music you'd like to share with the audience here today? Yeah, we got uh, another one coming out at the beginning of February. Um, it's called Generational Trauma. Um, so this one's actually uh, it's pretty specific. It's about uh, a previous band member um, that I was in with the past uh, band that I was in. Um, not the best of humans um so uh it's uh it's pretty specific it's pretty heavy it's um it kind of takes some elements of i would say maybe like some early 2000s metal um it's pretty fast-paced and uh really like kind of amped up one of my friends said it's a really good driving song still very melodic um still really big orchestral production in this one but it is a pretty fast-paced song it's one of the shorter songs i've wrote it's just over three minutes most of my stuff is like four to seven minutes long um so it's a like i said it's a pretty fast-paced song um it's again very heavy uh, a lot more screaming in this one um so but it's it's pretty balanced you know Kristen's vocal parts are uh really killer um and we just kind of do a duet you know switch back and forth a lot more than the the previous songs where it's mostly her and i've got a couple little screaming parts in it and, and but trying to focus in on her vocals for like the main melody this is a little bit more evenly spaced out between the two so that'll be out uh i'm actually i, I just finished uh mixing it down last week so i'm gonna try to get it uh up on you know get it submitted to AUCD baby so i'm gonna get okay. it all situated this weekend for uh for the first of february i'm shooting for um so that'll be out then and uh, i hope everybody likes it again it's it's definitely heavier and fast-paced um but i i really like the song and i think it's a pretty cool one so see how it does okay i like it i dig it i i can't wait to hear it um it's gonna be cool yeah next question is do you have any uh any shows planned to play or anything like that right now no um i just i mean this project pretty much started like i've been writing this stuff for years and um i've got uh my buddy Joe Lana, he's the drummer for Dropout Kings. Oh, um, yeah. So he was over at my house. It was, I want to say, like maybe June. He got back from tour and he hit me up. He was just like, hey, uh, let's hang out. So he came over, just chilling and I'm playing him songs. And he's like, dude, when the fuck are you going to start putting stuff out? I'm like, yeah, I fucking don't know, man. You know, like I, I just don't, I don't know. And he's like, set a date, put it on a calendar give yourself a goal, make it fucking happen. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do it. So I, uh, I did, I, I, I picked the one song karma bound that I was going to focus in on and get it. Cause like, I've got like 25 songs, right. And all of them are like 85% finished, you know? So it's just like, I, cause I just, I get inspired and I write something and then I get inspired and I write something. And it's like, I got all the stuff that's like not completely ready to go. And he's like, dude, you gotta just start pulling triggers. So 
I was like, all right, I'm going to focus on Karma Bound. I uh, contacted the videographer, uh, Jesse Conti, who's a phenomenal dude, great videographer. Uh, and I was like, dude, I got, I want to do a music video for the song. Let's put something on the calendar. And then I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to release it for my birthday, which was September 26th. So I that turned into like this mad rush, and I didn't even realize how many things and steps were going to need to happen to get the song out there. Um, and meanwhile, I'm like getting that one finalized, and everything's getting ready. I'm starting to, you know, get build the Instagram account and start to get this whole production going. And the next thing I know, we're dropping the song, and I'm like, I've got a schedule I got to be on. So it's like Spellbinders next one. I'm like, fuck, I got to get this finished up. So now it's like. All right, we're we're going, you know, and and now here we are. Fast forward, I'm like, I need to be putting out more music faster because right now I've been doing like a song and then the instrumental version of it, and then a song and the instrumental version of it, which is cool. But I have so much music, I want to get it out faster. So I'm trying to the next three months. I'm going to do a song every month, so February, March, April, for sure. Um, and hopefully, like I'm finishing these songs up right now to get them ready for that and uh so in the, the the meantime of all of that i have not even looked around to find players or like get other people on board with this i've, I've done a little bit but it's tough i'm 39 so like all of the musician friends that i have at this age are either touring in bands or out of the game so uh I at this point was like, you know what, let me just sit tight, keep releasing songs, keep building this project. And then when the time comes, when there's enough uh, draw and there's enough pull, there's enough, then I'll start to work on the live situation and start to get that whole thing going. So I, it's going to be a while before I do anything live. And I ultimately, I've spent my entire adult life and most of my teenagers playing shows to, you know, like 10, 20 people. And I, you know, for when I first do a, a, a show for this project, if, uh, if, you know, like 50 people show up, I'll be happy because I'll be like, okay, this is a little pressure right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got to dust the cobwebs off a little bit. Um, but I, I just, I want to try to capitalize on things a little bit differently this time around and being, uh, it, the industry being what it is right now, it is so fucking expensive to just do a gig, you know, and it's like your local shows are one thing, which are cool. And there's definitely opportunity here for a local show. And I'm not opposed to doing it. There's a couple of bands that I'm friends with that I'd love to, to get up on stage with them and do that um, when I'm ready to do so. But I've got... Uh, couple of my friends they're um john from or johnny he's in above snakes if you heard those guys yeah great great fucking band um and they're active and they're out all the time and you know i'll text him and say yeah how's tour going and he's just like dude it's just it's just not what it was and i was like i know because like when i went out with gemini i said like, you're just not what it is it's like festivals are kind of where it's at right now yeah so um for me as far as like trying to stage this thing up it's the other difficult part is, you know, I'm, I'm getting feedback based off of Instagram and everything like that. And the people that like this particular style of music are all over the world. 
you know, so it's just like I've got shitload of, of people in Mexico, Brazil, Venezuela, Germany, Norway, all that. It's just like, okay, how do I how do I play to all these people? It, you know, when I'm gonna tour uh, countries and, and play to ten people each it's just not even realistic. Yeah. So I kind of want to wait till this project is really at a place where it's got such a draw and such a demographic pull that I can see on a map where my listeners are. And then if there's a festival in the area, go do that and play that show and, and pack it out and really put on because it's tough to the with the nature of the sound and like as this if you know you pay attention to the project as I'm releasing music and as it continues to develop, um, it's gonna get a lot more theatrical which means that there's going to be a lot more orchestra, a lot bigger, even more epic than any of the songs, the two that I've got now, it's going to continue to grow and get more interesting. And, you know, it's, it would be a disservice to this particular project to play a super small venue and backline everything. And you know what I mean? It's just, it needs to be a theatrical performance. It needs to be on a big fucking stage and it's gotta be in front of a lot of people. And so as much as I'd love to just hit the ground running and start doing shows, one, the amount of time and money it takes to just even get that far is challenging. Um, and then two, it's just not, it just, just doesn't do this, this uh, it would be a disservice. So I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold for a while and allow this thing to to build and grow and uh, and see where it's at. You know, once the album is out, I'm hoping to have the full album out by the by the end of this year. Um, so which means I got a shitload of work to do to get it all situated and ready for it to be available for everybody. Um, but once it's out, then I'm gonna kind of reevaluate. I've I've got a, a game plan and I'm paying attention to things on a scalable level. So as it, it starts to develop more traction and see where my demographic is at and see what's going to realistically be a thing. And, you know, it's it's all about your Spotify numbers too, as far as what you can get on for a festival or a bigger show or whatever. Um, but at this point too, as far as like touring is concerned, um, man, it would have to be the opportunity of a lifetime uh, before I would pack my shit and go on the fucking road again for like five to six weeks because that lifestyle, especially now, you know, like we were talking like seven of us are playing 500 cat rooms, you know, those guys are still getting in a bus and they're driving four to five hours a day to play those shows and whatnot. And it's, I've done it and it is hard, you know, and I'm not 21 anymore. <laughs> I mean, like it's it's got to be worth it and it would have to be like the the draw would have to be there so for the time being i'm going to just see how this develops and I, what i'd like to really do um down the road too knowing that because of the kind of music it is being so spread out globally um with the fans i think what would be really cool and i know bands have done it but doing live streaming of a live performance that way i could actually play live granted it's online but i could do it to the people all over that way you know the the kid 
that hit me up the other day from like fucking Pakistan, which will never be able to see me play, but I have an opportunity to. So I just I don't it's I've got to gotta see how this whole thing shakes out. It's just so new, you know. I mean, this Ethereum <clears throat> was ultimately born a few years ago, maybe, and launched September of this past year. So this is like fresh shit right now. <laughs> Hey man, it, I dig it. And uh, the live streaming, great idea, by the way. I mean, yeah, bands have done it, but think of the production you can do. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. L- lighting, you know, everything. You can make it a movie esque type of deal, which I would absolutely love to fucking do. Hey, um, do you, you listen to Devin Townsend at all? Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah, I love Devin Townsend. Um, he did you see his COVID special that he did? He green screened everything. Yes, I did. And it was so fuck. I was like, dude, yes, this guy is brilliant. I love him on so many levels. He's such a great musician and such a fantastic performer. And that was so fucking cool because he just got to have them in this world that he created on his green screen. It was so fun, dude. She was awesome. I was like, this, this is, that's the way right now. And I, I think uh, COVID kind of terraformed the industry when it came to live music anyways. Um, so I, that, that's something that I'm definitely planning on doing. I don't know when I got to give a space to be able to do that kind of thing. Cause I can't do it in this space, but eventually that'll be on the docket for sure. Well, I dig it, man. Um, I've got one last bit here for our uh, viewing pleasure or talking pleasure in our case. Uh, it's sure. called Dream Festival. It's my favorite sure. thing to do. You and I are going to sit here and I'll, I'll walk you through it, of course. We're going to curate, curate, not curate. <laughs> I guess I'm hungry for curry. Um, <laughs> We're going to curate a dream festival. And the only rule for this festival is Ethereum will be playing the festival. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of walk through where you'll be playing uh, as we get through it. But we got to start with the most important part, the food, the catering. What, what's the catering going to be like? Ooh. Oh man. There's definitely got to be some steaks involved. Okay. Get uh, a big party meal going. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of smoked meats, so I think uh, a good barbecue place that's got some brisket that would be a that'd be a good spot. Um, You're speaking my language, popcorn is a must. I love popcorn, so there'd have to be a place that did a really good popcorn. I, I don't care much for kettle corn or any of that bullshit. Just good old fashioned fucking popcorn. So there would be a would be a popcorn stand for sure. It'd be an ice cream stand because you have to have good fucking ice cream. Let's see. What else would there be? Um, I popcorn last night, speaking of which. <laughs> I'm going to have some tonight as soon as we're done oh. here for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love poke. Okay. If you've ever had poke. So there would probably be, uh, you know what? We'll just, we'll just make each one of these uh, food tents all of my favorite things so steak poke um 
Mexican. And then the poke place would probably have to have a fusion of poke and Mexican, kind of like a little bleed over. So they could just kind of like be positioned next to one another. Um, and then uh, just a straight up Japanese place. So that would be in succession. So it would be like Hawaiian style poke and then Mexican food and then Japanese. Um, and probably have to have really, some really, really good beer. Um, a couple places serving some excellent tequila. I don't know if you can see right over here. Yeah. But that that's my my bar. I so love it. On the, on the shelf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on the shelf I've got uh uh I've got Vita Mezcal. I've got High West Rye. I've got some Dan Julio nineteen forty two. Casadores. Uh botanist gin. I love gin um let's see what else a couple of different liqueurs and whatnot I, I just restocked it for uh for new year's eve and um hit it probably too hard but uh <laughs> well yeah so that would probably uh that would probably be the staples i would say for me okay i dig it what, man. what else is at the festival that i need to come up with well the next part is we got to figure out where it's going to be it can be anywhere in the world you want it to be it just we just got to figure out where it's going to be man um okay so i mean this is obviously this would never in a million years fucking happen but (laughs) in hawaii uh on maui uh haleakala the top of the mountain of maui is a ten thousand foot um, it used to be an active volcano, uh, but over time, the top of it has eroded off. And so there's a crater that actually drops, goes from 7,000 or from 10,000 foot down to 75,000 or 7,500, sorry, inside. So you drop 2,500 feet into the crater. The crater is the size of Manhattan. Um, so it is huge. And I hiked it. Uh, 11 years ago now and it was the most unbelievable place i have ever seen in my fucking life the variation of um uh just it's like it's like these various microcosms um you know you, you get into it and it's like you're walking down what looks like the moon it's just all like this gray lava rock and, and as you get further down starts to get green and if you look up to the when you're entering it you look up to the right side where all of the cloud formations are coming in from the uh, northern side of the island they get caught up on it and so they start to swirl and when they swirl up they start to build these clouds and these clouds get caught up on this ridge and you have these waterfalls that are literally in the clouds raining down the side of the cliff or the mountain and you've got all of this foliage and moss growing on the side of these mountains from the amount of moisture that's up there and they're obviously getting a shitload of sunlight because you're ten thousand foot up um and that's just one part of it you continue to walk and then as you get further into it it looks like parts of the southwest with this super red desert rock with all of these colorful yellow striations 
there are these uh these things called silver swords they're these plants that only grow in the crater of Haleakala. Haleakala that's like the only place on the planet they grow and they flower once every 30 years and they grow like these 12 foot tall silver looking um it's kind of like a, a succulent looking plant and they're shy even this the, the small shrubs before they flower are silver so shiny that when the light hits it it refracts and you can see it miles away um and it just changes like the the whole it just continues to develop where there's like these various places just because of how the atmosphere hits it different this, this is drier over here this is more moist over here this is a different altitude all these things just grow at various places in various parts of it and it's all within a seven mile radius of everything and and then at night i which i wasn't i didn't get to experience it at night but because you're up so high you get absolutely unobstructed view of the stars and it is super super cool it's one of the most fantastic places on the planet so to have a festival which would again would never happen and it would be a uh a bastardization of the natural habitat <laughs> of that place but if i could that would that would be it that would be the spot i love it man that that would be the most beautiful music festival yeah anybody's ever seen for sure so we're, we're we've got the location we've got the catering the next place is where are you going to be staying because uh, we got to find out is it going to be a hotel an airbnb you're going to camp it out glamp it camp, out glamping tents tents there's a couple pavilions um cabins that you can actually rent those they're booked out at this place for like three years like you have to book these out because you can only stay a limited time it's just because there's so so few of them it's so sought after so um but yeah i'd say camping and bundle up because the shit gets fucking cold up there <laughs> but that's metal man yeah cool simple and easy and beautiful view i like it yeah okay so next thing is around what time are you guys gonna play so we have morning evening night are you gonna headline are you gonna be the opener are you gonna be somewhere in the middle of the day for the festival i mean you know how festival uh lineups typically work for a day what what time frame would you like to play so the sun always sets at like 605 in Hawaii because of where it is on the planet, like always. And it's pitch black after that. There's no residual light. You don't get the summer afterglow when like the sun is setting and it's you can't see the sun, but you still have light. That is not how Hawaii is. The sun sets. It takes about all of 15 minutes for that thing to hit. Once it goes past the water, it's midnight, basically. So with that being said, being inside a crater, the sun's going to set sooner. So I would probably want to play at like five o'clock for an hour set because that would be from the start to finish of that set. It would be like you would watch the sun just go down behind the mountain and whatever residual light would be there till about 6.05 once they hit the water and then it would be fucking midnight. So that would be the... That'd be the time. That would be awesome to see. Yeah. You yeah. finish the last note of the last song and it's finally pitch black. Yeah, done. That would be 
awesome. Yeah. So our final two parts of the uh, festival. Uh, I'll save the last one because this one it, it's always pretty funny to see what the reaction and interesting part of that is. Uh, but we got to know who's playing your festival. Who, mm. Give me yeah, a couple sure. headliners, couple of smaller bands somewhere in the middle. Just rattle off a, a decent list. Um, within Temptation, for okay. sure. Good choice. Spirit Box, for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, Architects, for sure. Demio Borgia. Okay. Okay. Um, Northlight. You got to have the Deftones show up. Yep. Um, got to have Corn show up, too. Um, Lacuna Coil, I think they would have to be there as well. I read my and, message, but they're not on the podcast yet. <laughs> yeah, well, in time, yeah, of course. Um, I think who else? And then honestly, I'd probably have to bring in some of my my friends from like local bands for this experience. So, um, there's uh, my buddies are in a local band here. They're very good. It's Divine Fallacy. Um, and there's another band which I'm not friends with these guys, but I caught them. They played locally uh, recently. There's a band called Nightmares. Super fucking heavy. Very good though. Hell of a fucking live performance. Um, so I I dragged them out. Um, there's another band that I fucking love because I love In Flames. Uh, In Flames would have to be at this as well. Um, so there's a band called Murder in Rue Morgue. And uh, they're out of Syracuse, and I've known those guys for years, and they're super good dudes, and they're super fun live, and they just don't give a fuck, but they play great metal. They're just like classic, like early early two thousands metal. Um, so I dragged them along for uh, for this this particular festival as well. I'm trying to think of who else I would like to really have on that. I mean, that kind of periphery yeah they're pretty influential they were pretty influential for oh lamb of god they'd have to be there but old lamb of god fucking dude so dope but you know what i'd also like to have a couple of uh other stages um and do some dj shit too because i love that stuff you know seven lions uh chris and i went to see them in Brooklyn in April and it was fantastic. Um, so yeah, uh, oh, Dream Theater, they'd have to be there. Or, yeah, um, yeah, I think that would that would be a, a solid lineup. I'm sure I could think of more, but I think that that's a good start. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic start. You got some fantastic bands there. I mean. Dream Theater, Demi Borgir, Spirit Box. I've seen them twice already. And nice. time I've seen them, it's been fantastic. Funny enough, both been festival sets. But, oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, wait, no. One was a festival. One was an opener set. Mm. They were opening for uh, Under Oath. Oh, no shit. Interesting combo. It was straight huh. from the path, opened up for the whole set. Then it was Bad Omens spirit okay. box and then under oath on their uh voyeurist tour so they're no shit. 
second most recent one. Yeah, okay, cool. When they were back from COVID. Gotcha, okay. So yeah. uh, Spirit Box has always been a favorite of mine to see. I was supposed to see them last year at a Blue Ridge Rock Fest, but we all know how that went. Uh, <laughs> I, I think yeah. I talk about that too much. <laughs> I heard all about that one. I'm still salty that I didn't get to see Spirit Box a third time or Slaughter mm-hmm. to Prevail for the first time. Yeah, man. Or Architect. Yeah. I think they yeah. were supposed to play. No, uh, Amity, Affliction, and Northlane were supposed to play. Mm, okay. I like them. I like Amity, Affliction. Okay. So the last part of your festival is, what are you going to name it? We, we got to have a name for your festival. Oh, man. It's, All right. Well, it gets people every time. I love no, I got, I got it. Um, so my other little uh, entrepreneurial... Um, Endeavor is called Awoken Stone. Um, I sculpt, so I've got. Uh, if you go to my personal page, um, it's a, it's Awoken Stone, um, oh, and I make uh, I make bongs and pipes and shit like that. But I do very elaborate sculptures uh, around glass, not actually blowing glass. I'm using uh, polymer clays and um, other mediums, crystals and gemstones and shit like that to make these pretty elaborate looking things so so awoken stone is um is my other like pet project and that's actually it's been around a lot longer than ethereum has and so like the album that i'm putting out is under awoken stone studios so it would have to be awoken stone festival especially at the top of a mountain in a crater yeah awoken that, stone that fits so well too <laughs> yeah i gotta compliment you on these things these are insane looking oh, thank you thank you oh yeah a woken stone festival coming to a mountain crater near you <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> well thank you so much for being on the podcast man i had a fantastic time talking with you Same. and talking about music and aliens and also yeah fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> What would you like to have as the uh, outro song for you guys, uh, by you guys? The outro song? What, for the festival? Uh, no, for the for the podcast. I mean, for the po- podcast? Too. Oh, um, well, I've only got two songs out, so I can't recommend one of my songs, but you could play one of my songs. Um, that's exactly that's, what I'm looking for. So Okay. Um, you know what? I would say... Sp- spellbinder it's the most recent one out i mean it depends on when you're going to drop this podcast if it's next month then you could probably do generational trauma but yeah just spellbinder okay spellbinder it is cool thanks again so much man yeah of course man thank you